Well, she was just a middle-aged woman doing her best to get by. You see, her life hadn't been an easy one. In fact, those who know her would tell you that she was known for making one mistake after another, experiencing one marriage after another, one divorce after another. In fact, she found herself in a chapter of life she couldn't escape from. She wanted to, and she couldn't escape. But then one day came the turning of the page and came the beginning of a new chapter. A chapter in her life that would be defined by hope. A chapter in her life that would be defined by life. See, finally she was experiencing the best life had to offer because now she had discovered God. She'd been following Jesus. And as a result of her relationship with Christ, and as a result of this job that she had been working, now she knew stability. Things were as good as they ever were going to be in her mind. The life she had been dreaming of. She was living that chapter of her life. And then came that day. The day when the Supreme Court made its ruling and suddenly she found herself in another chapter. A chapter she didn't go looking for, a chapter she never thought was even coming her way. And now because of her faith and because of what was expected of her, she found herself in a quagmire. What in the world should she do? Should she sign on the dotted line? Should she refuse? Should she just walk away? What is a Christian to do in such a situation? Well, she made her choice. As a result, the media began covering her story. She was under a whole bunch of scrutiny. She landed in jail, eventually was released. Some people celebrated her. Some people despised her. But one thing can't be ignored. She made herself distinct. She made herself distinct. She set herself apart from all others. And yet people on all sides of this issue would look at her and say, well, yeah, she was distinct, sure enough. But did she gain her distinction in the right way? Five weeks ago, we began this series, Learning Who We Are. We've been learning from Peter in the book of 1 Peter, and he's been teaching us. We've been learning that we are chosen. We are chosen by the Father. You see, he sets his affection upon us, draws us to himself. We are chosen. And the very moment we respond to him is the very moment that we are hope. Because we have Jesus Christ in our lives, we are hope because we have him. And because we follow Jesus, because God is our father, we are holy. We are his holy people set apart. And then last week we learned that we are family. We are a family that's called to bring others into the family of God. And now today Peter teaches us something else. We are distinct. We are distinct. And we are to be distinct by the way that we treat people. By the way we respond to those people who despise us, who ridicule us. You see, there's a natural way that we want to respond. The way that everyone else responds. That's how the world responds. But we set ourselves apart from that. Because we are Christ followers and we know who we are, we are distinct. And so we're going to learn today. We're going to be challenged today. I'll guarantee you. I know I have been. And so we're going to dive in. And, and as Peter teaches us, he's going to teach us something that uh, I'll tell you what, it won't be easy. But let's dive in. Because the first thing that Peter teaches us, take a look at this passage. If you can take a look. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. 
Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. He makes it clear here that we are to submit to civil authority. We are to submit to civil authority. And the reality is, for all of us, we don't like the word submission. We don't like it at all. In fact, it gives us an idea that there are levels, right? And somehow, perhaps, I'm not on top. And we don't like it when we're not on top. In fact, for us, we want to be in charge, right? We want to make the final call. And we want to ensure that others do exactly as we tell them to do because of what we said. Because of who we are. Where we fall on this whole thing, right? And then, of course, we want to make sure that the buck stops with us. And yet, because we're Christ followers, Christ wants us to know that the buck stops with him. Since he submitted in all areas of his life, we are to submit as well. And once we know this, and once we live this out as believers, friends, we are distinct. We are distinct. And so let me ask you, just take a look at your life right now. All the facets of your life. Who's an authority over you? Who's your authority? And are you being submissive to them? Gladly submissive to them. Being submissive to your boss? Truly? Your teacher? Being submissive to them? How about your coach? Being submissive to them or grumbling about what they're telling you to do? How about the owner of the business where you work? Being submissive to them? Or how about to a friend? They, they are an authority over you. Are you being a friend to them in terms of how you're responding to them and their position? You might even have somebody you consider to be kind of an enemy, if you will, who's an authority over you. Are you submitting to that person? Because what Peter is telling us here is that we need to submit to everyone in authority over us. And by everyone, he means everyone. We're not to leave anyone out, even the people we don't like. And so in order to make his point crystal clear... Peter defines who everyone includes. And he says this, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority. He brings up the emperor. And at the time Peter wrote these words, of course, everyone knew who the emperor was. It was Nero. Famous, of course, in history. This guy was off his rocker, right? Downright scary. In fact, in the summer of AD 64, this is historical now, Rome almost burned entirely to the ground. In fact, three quarters of Rome burned down. And as a result of this, the people in Rome began to blame Nero for setting the city ablaze. Because this was the kind of thing that a sick guy like Nero would do. And so now he's under fire. He's being blamed for this. And so he needs to deflect the blame. And so he turns it to Christians. He says, no, I didn't do this. The Christians did this. And so they began to be brutalized. In fact, history shows us they were covered with the hides of wild beasts. They were eaten to death by dogs. They were hung from crosses all throughout the city, and they were set on fire and burned to serve as evening lights in the city. And Peter writes these scattered, persecuted Christians, and he says, you are to humbly and gladly submit to even him. To him. In fact, little did Peter know that shortly after he wrote these words, his own life would be taken at the hands of Nero as well. So let me ask you, do you got a Nero in your life? You got somebody that just drives you crazy? You got somebody who's not meaning to do you well? Who's talking behind your back? Who means you harm? You got a Nero in your life? Well, if they're an authority over you, you need to submit to them because that's who we are. 
In fact, in addition to the Nero in our lives, we are to submit to governors, Peter writes, who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. The standard continues to be high here because the Christians back then, as they're hearing this from Peter, they've they got to be asking themselves, what? I mean, to submit to them means that I have to pay taxes that support pagan temples. It means that I have to pay taxes that support unjust wars. And it means for me as a Christian that I have to submit to a leader who hates me and despises me. And yet Peter says, you got to submit. And the question is, why? Why? And he responds, he says, for it is God's will. Listen here, friends. That by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. So by doing good, you're going to silence them. He says, live as free people who do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. And so Peter's making it clear to the Christians back then as he's making it clear to us today that we live in a culture, in case you haven't noticed, we live in a culture that's increasingly against and opposed to Christianity. In fact, people are trying to find any baseless charge they can use to bring a Christian down. In fact, in our current culture right now, Our people, the people around us, our culture around us is bashing our views on marriage, on morality, even the Bible. Saying that they know more about what the Bible says than those people who actually read it and try to live by it. And yet, Peter says, we are to submit to them if they are an authority over us. Chuck Swindoll states it this way. He says, we submit not because we're blind nationalists, but because we're bond slaves of God. And as such, our obligation is to serve him. And to do so, we need to live in such a way as to bring honor to his reputation in the public square. We are to bring honor to his name by the way that we submit. And that's pretty hard to do. So how do we do that? How do we do that? We submit to those leaders in authority over us while we're honoring the name of Jesus, even if these people don't really seek to honor his name as well. How do you do that? Well, I've asked Phil and Vicki Burris to join me here today, and I don't know if you know who they are. They live right here in Cincinnati. They've been devoting much of their lives, uh, really, to making a difference, making an impact by honoring the name of Jesus while also working with our government. And so will you join me in welcoming Phil and Vicki here with me here this morning? And I'm uh, so thankful for them. Good to see you. your seat's coming along here. All right, here they come. Awesome. And you know what? I haven't met a lot of Phil's in my life. I, I never met a Phil I didn't like. And uh, Phil's a pretty great guy. You're going to learn more about him in just a moment. But tell us, you know, both of you, um, you've been living this life together as a couple now, making an impact uh, really in our culture right here in Cincinnati. How did it all begin? And then where are you now in your journey? Well, let's start with my testimony. I, I was born and raised in Cincinnati and um, raised in a Christian home. And at 14, I was exposed to pornography. Cincinnati was, back then, was filled with porn stores and pornography stores and ended up living a double life and ended up deciding that I was not going to uh, continue uh, living that double life. And I left church and, um, and it was in the world. And a 25-year addiction come to an end on September 6, 1980, when I accepted the Lord as, as my Lord and Savior. And at that time, this organization called Citizens for Community Values was being birthed in 1983 by pastors from the Cincinnati area. 
because they, they could not address the issues. It was soon after Roe v. Wade, and they could not, they had to preach the word. And so they wanted to create an organization where people, they could send people to who wanted to get involved in the social issues. So I began as a volunteer and became president in 91. My story started pretty similar. I was um, in a church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, youth group, all my life. Married when I was 18. Six months into our marriage, uh, my husband came out that he was addicted to pornography and asked me to use that pornography with him. Unfortunately, the marriage ended after 18 years in divorce um, after abuse of myself and my two children. Um, God has taken me a long way in that journey. After the divorce, I got involved in an organization called American Family Association in Indiana and started to fight the very thing that I felt was destroying women, uh, destroying marriages. Um, One of my heroes in that fight was a man named Phil Burris in Cincinnati, Ohio. People across the country look to your city, and I can say your city is my city now after 17 years, but as a city on the hill where citizens have stood up and you you stand for family values and you get rid of the pornographers and you don't have billboards that are offensive to people. So um, Phil and I met. I was fighting pornography in Indiana and doing that and raising my kids as a single mom and continued to be in the fight. And um, Phil and I met 17 years ago. He asked me to marry him, so I did. (laughs) Good choice. All right. So tell us, uh, first of all, some of the, the key things over the past several years in terms of how you have, you know, engaged with our culture, engaged with the government in terms to, you know, to transform it, but in a way that brings honor to him. What are some of the key things that you look at? Well, back there's to? a lot of things that Citizens for Community Values has done through, through your support and your help. One of the things you will probably remember, because this church was very much involved in it, was the 2004 Marriage Amendment. Uh, we ran that campaign. We collected 556,000 signatures, changed the city, changed the state of Ohio constitution, say marriage is one man and one woman. We also wrote and passed a law that says uh, all strip bars and porn stores in the state of Ohio have to close between midnight and 6. And also women were not allowed to touch the men in these strip bars. Over 100 strip bars across the state of Ohio have closed as a result of that law. But more important than that, I want to point to this church as being distinctive. In 1988, we met out here in the A-frame. Some of you may remember this. And we brought prosecutors in here from eight counties around the greater Cincinnati and said, what are you going to do about these strip bars and pornography? And that was the beginning of the end. Today, greater Cincinnati is the largest metropolitan area in the United States that has no strip bars and no adult pornography stores. Give yourself a hand. So how do we do this then? How do we bring honor to his name while at the same time submitting to our, our authorities over us? What does that look like? How do we engage in this? It's two things, Pastor. It's really not complicated at all. It, when you engage the culture or you deal with elected officials, you have to do it with truth and love. They can't hate me. I hate no one. They call me. If you Google my name, you'll find three and a half million hits and names I've been called that some people have said never heard of before. But that's just not true. I hate no one. I love everyone. They may not love what I stand for, but I do love them. The second thing 
is the fact that we have to engage the culture. And uh, we have to do it in a way that it brings glory to Christ. And uh, the only way to do that is, is to love people. And uh, if, you go to, if you go to the webpage and you look at what we've done over the years, you will see many, many articles. One of them was when we were engaged in the homosexual agenda and we reached out. My wife and I served four and a half years on the board of Exodus International where we, we met hundreds of people that have walked away from uh, same-sex attractions. But the, because of the 2004 election, Columbus Dispatch wanted to do a story on me, and I knew it was going to be a hit piece. They're never very, the media is just very never friendly to those who stand for Christ. But, you know, the thing that lifted my spirits, Pastor, was the fact that the title of the story on the front page of the Sunday uh, Dispatch, after they interviewed all the people that we had gone up against on the other side in the marriage amendment, especially the homosexual activists, the title of the story said, even his enemies like him. They didn't agree with anything that I said, but they, they could not hate me. And, and I treated them with respect and I treated them with love, even though we disagreed on the social issues in the public square. Awesome. Awesome. So give us a bit of advice just for day-to-day living right now. Uh, everyone, they go to work. They live on a, on a street somewhere. They're shopping at Kroger or somewhere else. Uh, what do we do? How do we engage? Well, we, we came up with a slogan uh, many years ago. We're 32 years old now. We're a statewide organization uh, associated with Focus on the Family and the others, uh, Family Research Council. And our slogan is, uh, silence is acceptance. If you, as a Christian, see something that is wrong, I don't care if it's on television, I don't care if it's a magazine, in a grocery store, I don't care where it's at, you must speak up and you must say something. But if you can't do it in love, then you shouldn't do it at all. Mm -hmm. But as Christians, we are called to speak up, and that's really what it's all about. We need to be engaged in the culture. We need to be registered to vote. You know, we're supposed to submit ourselves to the authority that's over with. But we have a country where we can pick our rulers. So why not pick godly people? That's right. That's right. Amen. Can we thank Phil and Vicki here for being with us this morning? That's great. Thank you. Thank you. And friends, I, I like uh, the conversation. And I think it's helpful for us today because our, our culture is changing so quickly. It's changing rapidly. And in light of that, you know, I just want to bring up this idea, the idea that, that because our culture is changing, we need to realize that there, there are things that will be coming our way. I don't know what they are. I don't know what it's going to look like. But many times we think, well, we live in America, so these things couldn't possibly happen here. And yet I think there's possibility down the road uh, that, that the government might come in and tell us as Christians how we are to live and how we are to behave. The government might come into our churches and say, this is what you ought to preach, or, or pastors, this is what you are to do or not do, or you'll be in trouble if you don't. I think there's possibility for this. And in light of that, yes, we are to submit to our authorities over us, but also Peter spoke somewhere else, and he spoke uh, with a whole lot of passion. And he stood before a crowd one day, and he says, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. And that's what we need to do. God is our ultimate authority. He's our ultimate authority. And if there comes a time when we, we're being pushed in the corner, 
because because of our faith. We just saw just just a week or so ago, right? This horrific incident where somebody comes in, and if you're a Christian, you get shot, and if you're not a Christian, you you, you escape with your life. This is happening more and more in our culture, friends. We need to be ready. We need to be prepared. We need to be able to to speak the truth in love. And in light of this, I just want to ask the question, did Kim Davis, did she do the right thing? As a Christian, did she do the right thing by refusing to sign those marriage licenses? Well, many Christians have said, well, no. I mean, they were embarrassed by it, thought she should just, you know, leave, quit her job, resign. And uh, it wouldn't have been wrong for her to resign. But I want you to think about this for a moment. Uh, when the Supreme Court ruled on that day, of course, in Kentucky, the, the law was that a marriage was between a man and a woman. That was still on the books. And on top of that, if you're her, uh, you have to define there who is the husband and who is the wife on those marriage licenses. Nobody could answer that one if you have a homosexual couple standing before you. And so if you're faced with that, what do you do? Are you going to sign your name to that in the midst of all that confusion? And so it's easy to armchair quarterback, and I'll just say that. But I think one thing that we can learn from this situation, perhaps, in order to, to honor the name of Christ and also to submit to authority, is to learn a bit from Daniel. In fact, we studied Daniel in January and February, and we learned, of course, from him how to engage with the culture while also transforming the culture. And if you remember, he was put in the corner as well because of his faith. He and his three friends were being forced by the king to eat food that would have defiled them based on what God was expecting of them. And instead of just saying, no, I'm not going to do it, they asked for an accommodation. They said, can we eat this kind of food for a certain period of time? And they were given that accommodation. And as a result, they were given a great amount of blessing. So perhaps that might have been the way to approach this situation. But I'll tell you what, friends, it's not easy. And more and more in our society, you might feel like a Kim Davis. And if you do, and if you're pressed up against the corner this year, next year, somewhere down the road, remember, we have to submit to our authorities over us while bringing honor to the name of Jesus in the public square. And so Peter continues and he says, okay, you have this idea where you submit to someone, but there's other people as well that are all around you. So you need to submit to your authority, he says, but also in terms of making yourself distinct in this world, you need to honor everyone. You've got to honor everyone, he says. Look at this, verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone, he says. Love the family of believers. Fear God. And then he throws in the emperor again. Just to make sure that everyone knows that everyone means everyone. So how about you? Are you honoring the people around you? How about your un unsympathetic boss? You honoring him? The incompetent salesman you ran into this week, did you honor that person? How about the cocky coworkers that you face day in and day out? How about your disobedient kids? How do you honor them in the midst of all that? How about your stubborn parents? Are you honoring them? How about your child's coach that should stick to like watching sports on TV rather than teaching other people how to play it? You know what? You're honoring that person in your life. How about your underperforming partner or your over-opinionated spouse? You're honoring them. How about that grumpy neighbor next door? You're honoring that person. See, Peter's trying to get our attention. He's saying, because we know who we are, we are to do right rather than demand our rights. We are to do right rather than demand our rights. 
And that's going to look different for every single one of us, depending upon the situation before us. You honoring everyone? As for me, I'll never forget the last day I saw my father. I didn't know it was going to be the last time I saw my dad. He just happened to show up for church on that Sunday morning. And uh, you know what? I, he, he was there, and so I took my mom and he out to the restaurant afterwards, and I had breakfast while they ate lunch because I like breakfast any time of the day. And as I was sitting there with him, my dad was so incredibly hurt. That's my last conversation with him. He was so hurt. He was hurt by this woman that I had known for much of my life. They had known for decades. He was hurt by this woman who, who was part of my church where I was working right then. You see, I just started this church about two months before that. It was a very difficult assignment. I was to oversee the entire worship arts area. And the guy who used to oversee this was a very large program, had been demoted. And I had been brought in to oversee him and everyone else. And he was to report to me. And a lot of people loved this guy. And this woman loved him. And so he begins to tell me the story about how he's shopping at Meyer on that day. And she just charges up to him in the middle of his shopping and begins to lay it out. Says, you know what? We don't want your son at our church. We don't want any guitar playing worship leader at our church. We want him out. We want the old person in. We can't stand him. And she just went on and on and on, just derailing me and bringing me down. In fact, he wouldn't even tell me everything that she said because it was, it was pretty bad. And he looked at me and says, I cannot believe that she would just come up to me and talk to me like that about my own son. I mean, he was really just overtaken with hurt. I said, Dad, you know what? Don't worry about it. I don't do what I do for her. I do it for him. He says, well, I know, but I still, I just can't get over this. He was so hurt. And I remember walking him to the car. He got inside. I remember waving goodbye to him. A couple days later, in the middle of the night, we got the call. He passed away. So now I have the wonderful opportunity to see this woman over and over and over again. Every single Wednesday I'd see her, every single weekend. She was very rude to me, very unkind, very cold. And over and over again, I had the opportunity to honor her. I wanted her to do other things. She hurt my dad spoke all these things about me, continued to be rude to me, and yet as a Christian, we're called to honor these people. So I honored her. But then the good day came when it was time for me to leave that church, and I moved to Lansing, Michigan, a couple hours away. And I thought, okay, well, that chapter's done. I don't need to see her anymore. I don't need to, you know, think about her or be reminded of her anymore. And so we moved to Lansing, Michigan. And, you know, I started working at this new church, and it wasn't very much longer after I'd started there that Lori came up to me after one of our services. Lori is this woman's daughter. She goes to my church. And for the next decade or so, I got to see Lori over and over and over again. And I'll tell you what, there were so many times I wanted to tell her what her mom had done. I really did. I said, no, I'm going to honor her. I'm going to honor her. I'm going to honor her mom. 
But then the good day came for me to move from there to here. And so we moved to Cincinnati. I thought, okay, well, certainly now it's all over. And there's going to be no one living in Cincinnati. This is not going to be a problem for me. And so I started here kind of tucking this all the way. And I was here for a couple months when we drove back to Grand Rapids to visit my daughter at a dance recital. And wouldn't you know who came up to me with great excitement and so excited to see me was Lori's son, who goes to school with my daughter. And every time I'm there, he can't wait to talk to me. He can't wait to see me. And this woman who hurt my father, who hurt me, is the gift that keeps on giving. (laughs) So how about you? You got a Nero in your life? How are you responding to them? Because we are called to honor everyone. Everyone. So I want you to think about this as we're watching this clip. As the offering is being taken, if those uh, who are serving can, can get themselves ready, I want you to watch this clip. I want you to place yourself in Kevin Costner's shoes and ask yourself if you are responding to that person or persons in your life the way that he did. And what might it look like for you? Let's take a look. Stay right there.
Let the sun rain fall and let the dewy clouds enfold you. And maybe you can sing. I hope you know them the kids that just beat me up. I know who they are. Well, then why'd you just give them mom and Lydia's cotton candy? Because it looked like they hadn't been given nothing in a long time. We are to submit to authority. We are to honor everyone. And as we submit to authority and as we honor everyone, Peter says we are then to imitate Christ. That's what we're doing. We're imitating Christ. Peter wrote, verse 21, To this you were called. This is your calling, friends. It's your calling. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. So his suffering, all that he went through is an example to all of us is what he's saying, that you should follow in his steps. We're to follow in his steps. So what he's saying basically is our call to follow Christ means we are to do right and be willing to suffer in the doing of that right. See, part of the Christian calling, of course, is suffering because Christ himself suffered. And Peter says that's his example. He has left for us. And, and because he suffered, we are going to suffer as well. And that is is our example. Now, when I was a kid growing up, a lot of people would describe me as kind of a creative kid. You know, I could sing, I wrote songs, I played guitar, piano, I, I was a creative kid. But one of the things that I couldn't do, and I really struggled with, was, you know, drawing or painting anything. I'm, I'm horrendous to this day. I mean, it's really, really bad. And why, why it stuck out to me is because my dad, he would paint paintings. And I would just be in awe of him, like, how can he do that? I mean, I could never do that. And so as a fifth grader, I bought some tracing paper, and I began to trace my favorite cartoon character back then. You know who he is, the Pink Panther, if you can bring him up. And uh, the Pink Panther was somebody that I traced over and over and over again. Hundreds of times, I'd sit down and I would trace the Pink Panther. In fact, eventually I got so good at tracing the pink panther that I didn't need, to, didn't need to trace him any longer. I merely could just draw him naturally in my life. In fact, I, I got pretty good at that, and there was a competition in our town. Uh, the, the, the local uh, library had this competition, and so you were to enter your bookmark that you made. And so I made this bookmark with the pink panther going to the library. And I entered my bookmark and I won. I ended up in the newspaper and my picture there because I'd won this. Because you see, where once I could merely trace the Pink Panther, because I had done him so many times, I could then draw him naturally in my life. What does this have to do with what Peter is saying? Well, he says here that Christ suffered for us by leaving us an example. In the original language, an example literally means this, a master to be copied or traced over. And so Peter is saying this, that Jesus has left us his example, and we are to trace our lives on his. We are to trace our lives on his. He is the master copy, is what he's saying. And what did he look like? But Peter wrote, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. He committed no sin. Now, in the original language, sin means to miss the mark. And so what Peter is saying is with all the different people 
who brutalized him, said all these horrible things to him and about him, he didn't miss the mark in his words, in his deeds, in his thoughts, in his attitude. He never missed the mark. And since we are called to trace our lives on his, no matter what people do to us, no matter what people say to us, we are to do the same, friends. We're to do the same. That's why Peter continues. He says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him, meaning his father. He entrusted himself to his father who judges justly. Think about it. Jesus was insulted. He was despised, he was slandered, spat upon, he was mocked. And yet he didn't fight back, he did so without protest. Because he knew that every single situation that came his way was either designed by his father or permitted by his father's will. And what do we do when somebody treats us badly? Well, we get angry, we get bitter, we can't sleep. We keep replaying the thing over and over again in our minds. We'll say things to that person we shouldn't say, or we'll say things about that person to other people in order to bring them down. That's many times how we respond. And Jesus, you see, has shown us a much better way. That's why Peter wrote, he says, he himself bore our sins. And why is that important since he is the master copy? Well, we are the ones who despised him. We're the ones who spat in his face. And even so, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. The very fact that Jesus would allow himself to be placed on that cross made him distinct. And since we are followers of him, we are to be distinct as well. And yet the problem for us because of our humanness is we're okay with Jesus suffering all these things for us. But we'll go way, way, way out of our way to make sure we don't have to suffer for another. We'll say that we're followers of Jesus Christ or we are his sheep. And yet we kind of want to go our own way. And to this Peter says, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And since we have returned to Jesus, our shepherd, the overseer of our souls, we are to do as he has done. We are to be distinct. We're to be distinct by the way we submit to authority, by how we honor everyone, and how we imitate Christ. You see, to be distinct, I must trace my life on His. To be distinct, I must trace my life on His over and over and over again. It's why Jesus says, come, follow me. And as we follow him, it's a daily thing, right? We trace our lives on his over and over and over again as we follow him. We trace our lives on his. So that one day we don't have to trace any longer. One day we'll just naturally be him for those people in our lives. That's his call. But he knew who we were. As a result, he met with his disciples on that night. He said, here is this bread. And as often as you're together, eat of this, will you? Trace your life on mine. And here's the juice. And as often as you are together, drink it. Because when you drink it, you're going to remember me. And when you remember me, you are tracing your life on mine. 
keep tracing. Keep tracing over and over and over again. Because if you keep tracing, if you keep remembering, eventually you'll die to yourself. And you'll truly represent me in this world. And so this morning we're going to end our time in worship. We're going to end our time tracing well. And there are communion stations in the back, communion stations up front. And those who are serving, I invite you to come. And I want you to spend this time right now making sure you're right before God, confessing anything that might stand in the way between you and Him. And then come forward and take the bread, dip it in the juice, and let's eat and let's drink and let's remember Him. And as we do, remember well what you're doing. You are tracing your life on His.